Welcome to episode three of Rulebooks and Roadmaps, a podcast by Fleischmann Hillard in Brussels, hosted by me, Jim Brunston, where we explore the transitions and transformations of EU policymaking as Brussels grapples with the challenges of our time. Today's episode centres on one big question, who is going to pay to save the world? The EU has been in the global vanguard of trying to find ways to channel private sector money to projects that will protect the environment rather than decimate it. This sustainable finance agenda has been a key piece of work for successive European commissions and, at first sight, you could imagine that it would be the waffle with hot chocolate sauce of EU policymaking, a universally loved product of Brussels with no disagreement about what should go into it. Who could argue against setting some clear rules of the road that help businesses know what is green and what's not? or that require companies to disclose the extent to which their activities meet environmental objectives. But in practice, this sustainable finance agenda is one fraught with real stakes for companies and real implications for political careers, delving into difficult questions of deciding what is actually green and what should be done about what isn't. It's also an agenda that's about more than our long-term survival, if anything could be. Channeling private investment to the right places is key to shoring up the EU economy and it's vital to the energy transition that is at the heart of Europe's response to Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine. But parts of the sustainable finance agenda that the EU is cooking are proving difficult to digest. The European Parliament and the Council of Ministers are currently chewing over proposals to label gas and nuclear power as useful transitional energy sources for our green future. And there's a heavy backlash, notably from MEPs. Also, fledgling plans to extend the concept of sustainable finance beyond the physical environment and into the realm of social justice have already sparked concerns from the defence industry, aka arms manufacturers, that they would be tarnished as an investment prospect at a time when Europe faces a very real military threat. Much of the political debate around sustainable finance centres on one word, taxonomy, a fascinatingly rare example of a piece of clunky EU jargon that's actually become embedded in the EU's collective consciousness. The EU's growing web of taxonomy rules is its classification system for what constitutes green investment, and it's very much a work in progress. Here, I'm grateful to say I have my colleague Jane Gimber, our Head of Sustainability at FH Brussels, with me to go through some of these points and figure out where actually is the EU on sustainable finance. Hello, Jane. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jane. Thank, thank you so much for being here to, to discuss all of this with me. I, I think we can start quite, quite broadly. Um, how big a part of the puzzle for the climate and energy transition is sustainable finance, uh, given all the other means that are at the EU's disposal? I mean, we know about the emissions trading scheme, there's proposals now for a carbon border adjustment mechanism at, at the EU's borders. Where, where does sustainable finance fit into all of this? Thanks, Jim. So the ETS and CBAM are obviously one aspect, part of the hugely significant Fit for 55 package. The important thing to keep in mind here is that these initiatives can't be done in silos. So they also create a need for investment in renewable energy sources, in research and development to try and replace the traditional energy sources as part of the transition. So channeling funds towards sustainability is increasingly important. And this is the framework by which the EU intends to bring the financing to those sectors of the real economy that are in most need of the transition, including those sectors as part of the, the CBAM. Exactly how big this is, is to the tune of 350 billion euros, roughly, to meet 2030 emissions reduction targets in the energy sector alone. So it's not to say that this ambition isn't without its challenges, but there is definitely strong political will to ensure that financing plays a significant role in the transition. At the same time, this has increased awareness of the risk of greenwashing. So hence, we have a framework today 
that has focused on an increased awareness of sustainability risks and the classification of sustainable activities, for example. If we compare this to where we were a few years ago with the high-level expert group in 2016, we've seen a shift on sustainable finance from being a nascent consideration for financial services policy to being mainstreamed across the portfolio of each commissioner's agenda. And that's a pretty substantial shift in the space of a few years. So I understand, right, we've got, we've got to find 350 billion euros from, from somewhere um, to, to basically finance this, this energy transition, this, this climate transition we want, so to, to pay for the new renewable energy technologies and uh, that we need and, and, to, and to roll those out so where the sustainable finance agenda itself it, it's it's not about the eu fronting up all that money it's, it's about the eu trying to set some kind of guide guide rails if you like so so that private finance gets directed into that um is it just possible to sort of set out a little bit how how it does that because i mean if i was a company or an investor and i was thinking i need to put my money into something that's a good bet for the future i'd, I'd probably think renewable energies are a fairly good bet for the future anyway because it's it's a growth sector so wh where does where does the rulemaking by the eu fit into this so the rulemaking by the eu has been primarily focused to date on ensuring disclosure and transparency about where that money is going there is a need that has been recognised by EU policymakers for the financing to be channelled towards the same direction. And this is where, as you mentioned at the beginning, the EU taxonomy plays a significant part. Trying to categorise through a binary classification system which economic activities can be considered sustainable or otherwise. And that's on the basis of quantitative and qualitative thresholds, hence the binary classification comes into play. Now, this hasn't also been without its challenges. And as you mentioned at the beginning, the consideration around nuclear and gas are particularly pertinent in that discussion. But part of the Commission's approach, at least to start with, has been to ensure that there is more transparency around this agenda, particularly for the investor community and from the investor community, and then to help them through corporate transparency, i.e. can you consider where corporate activities are being invested in today, which corporates are making efforts to make the transition, and how can they disclose against that in a harmonised way, because we can't forget that there are multiple different sectors that are operating in the EU. So in order to be able to have a consistent approach, you need certain pieces of information to be disclosed that are consistent across entire economic sectors. You also need certain pieces of information that would pertain to individual sectors because that's when you really start to drum down into the relevance and the value of that information. Because, I mean, think, just taking a step back on, on this agenda, I mean, obviously the EU it has a huge green agenda and that green agenda has been described as Europe's new growth model. It's been described as, as part of like the engine of Europe's recovery post the COVID um, pandemic. Uh, it's been described as, as a core part of, um, by, by policymakers, I mean, it's been described as a core part of uh, the EU's response to Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine because it's a way to build en energy security. D does all that apply for sustainable finance too? All those claims are made about the broader green agenda, Fit for 55 and so on. But does that apply for sustainable finance too? That um, that, that is part of dealing with all of this, this web of, of huge challenges that the EU now faces? The challenge with the sustainable finance agenda is that it does encompass a very broad range of initiatives. So it is working with the goals that are being set out as part of the Fit for 55 package. But since we've had the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the goalposts have also moved, as they have for energy and climate targets. The question here is, now, on member states' ability to respond to the rising energy costs, what does that mean for the sustainable finance agenda when we are trying to channel funds towards sustainable activities through a harmonised definition? So we're starting to see that 
individual energy mixes from member states are playing an increasingly important role in their plans to decouple from Russian energy and gas. It's impacting carbon prices, it's compounding the energy crisis, it's catalyzing the need for investment in renewables, but the types of renewable energy will differ from one member state to the next, and it's increasing the need for investment in the built environment as well. So this will inherently lead to a new perception of sustainable finance, one that is not just there from a disclosure point of view and to channel funds towards harmonised definition of sustainable economic activities, but one that needs to now combine funding Europe's energy security with climate neutrality and an acceleration of the rollout of renewables. So yes, Europe, it's about getting the money and then channeling it in a way that satisfies all of those, all of those, those objectives, which are all hugely important. Which is also part of the challenge. How do you channel funding across the 27 member states in the same way when each member state has a different energy mix? This is part of the conversation that we had at the beginning of the taxonomy framework, and that's part of the challenge in trying to develop a a harmonised definition. But now we're seeing the, the cracks showing through slightly more than they were before, which have been compounded by the need to accelerate that transition, front load some of the energy targets until 2030, and this is what's making the whole picture more complicated. And are those cracks you're referring to, are those cracks the ones linked to what we're seeing now on gas and nuclear, where um, a lot of the talk around the sustainable finance agenda at the moment has been about this, this so-called delegated act, this level two piece of legislation that's going through the European Parliament and Council and that would assign a particular status to, to gas and, and nuclear energy. And, and obviously we're seeing quite a strong pushback um, against that, uh, especially from parts of the European Parliament. Absolutely. The starting point for the consideration of nuclear gas was one of division with EU policymakers, with industry. Here we have a clear example between France and Germany, where France is very supportive of the use of nuclear, relies for, on nuclear for about 70% of its energy today, compared to Germany, whose reliance is significantly on gas. So the challenge here is how do you consider two energy sources that are very different in their nature as part of the same legal text and achieve agreement from 27 member states plus the European Parliament that those two energy sources can be considered sustainable. So these divisions go right to the hearts of the sustainable finance debate and have taken on new significance in light of the Commission's intention to decouple from Russian oil and gas by two-thirds by the end of this year. Um, The Commission is also looking to increase reliance on nuclear versus Parliament, who is considering that you can't increase reliance on gas, particularly in light of the Russia-Ukraine situation, by considering it sustainable. This has evoked some pretty emotional debates within the European Parliament. And a similar debate is also cropping up in the context of the Green Bond Standard discussions. The linking of the taxonomy to an EU green bond standard, as well as to a potential EU eco-label, are raising questions around whether a green bond standard should be used to finance nuclear and gas activities or not. So the, the key to looking at this is to understand the difference between those that consider the taxonomy as a tool for the transition and therefore as a framework that should be more comprehensive and should include additional economic activities to be able to help them transition from one category to the next, from a binary threshold to um, to above that threshold, or those that consider the taxonomy as a system for sustainable activities only in the context of a gold standard. You can't have both in the context of the taxonomy. Because this, this, is, this is fascinating to me that basically we've got this attempt to have a kind of a European level policy of trying to identify these rules of the road, about trying to sort of classify 
what what is green, what is not, um, you know, uh, what is what are the useful technologies to get us to the destination we want to reach, in terms of a um, much more sustainable economy, and, and and what aren't, but then that is happening over a patchwork of just legacy national energy policies and national energy systems, which are completely different. I mean, even in two neighbouring countries, uh, like France and Germany, it, it's a great example. Um, which I guess all contributes to the situation Mairead um, McGuinness, the EU's Financial Services Commissioner, found herself in in a hearing in the European Parliament in late March about the Nuclear and Gas Delegated Act, where really she took quite a lot of criticism from some MEPs um, who basically were accusing the Commission of, 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 of hypocrisy and even underhand behaviour in, in trying to give some kind of green status um, to, 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 gas, to gas and nuclear. And if I understood uh, Commissioner McGuinness's um, line of defence on this, or one of them, was, well, you know, it's better that we bring nuclear and gas inside the tent, and so we set out very clear criteria on when they can count as useful transitional technologies to get to a, to get to a greener, a brighter, greener future, rather than we just leave them outside the tent and then, it, and then it's up to the market to classify them or treat them, treat these industries however, however it wants to. Um, on the other hand, the taxonomy, as I understand it, is not a mandatory system. I mean, the taxonomy is a voluntary labelling system that you use if you want to and you don't use if you don't want to. So by bringing nuclear and gas in, you're not kind of constraining how the market sees nuclear and gas anyway, or, or are you? You're not restricting funding to nuclear and gas um, if you exclude them from the taxonomy. What you are doing is sending a very strong signal that nuclear and gas as energy sources that are relied on quite significantly today and maybe even more so in the future, particularly in the context of nuclear, shouldn't be considered as sustainable. And there is increasing pressure from all stakeholders for companies to be making the transition in a sustainable way. So although it isn't directing financing from a mandatory perspective, those policy signals are quite significant because they send a message to which types of energy sources companies should be investing in, which technologies they should be developing to be able to be considered sustainable for the future. And this is also without consideration of the international platform on sustainable finance and the work that is ongoing at that level. EU taxonomy is seen as one of the elements that may be considered as part of an international or a common ground taxonomy. So from a commission perspective, if they can't find agreement on the EU taxonomy due to the divisions in the member states that have been compounded by the Russia-Ukraine conflict, that also spills over into discussions on an international level and to what extent you can agree on the EU taxonomy. And here the the conversation we're just having around whether the taxonomy should be that comprehensive system or whether it should be a gold standard, the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive from an industrial perspective. Yet we need to consider here that the taxonomy isn't mandatory. It is meant to be a voluntary classification system. And this is part of the shift in the Commission's thinking from looking at sustainable finance as being a market-led initiative primarily to considering that there is a need for more intervention of EU policy and what is the role of EU policy in shifting funding towards activities that can be considered sustainable by a majority of actors. But this, this, this seems to be an essential thing that, that we're hitting on here, which is there's this existential question about what do you want the taxonomy to, to be um, that, that you've, you've explained um, a, a couple of times already during our, during our chats, that it's, it's 
but it's something I want to delve into a bit more. It's It's got to be one thing or the other. It's either going to be your gold standard of stuff that is the greenest of the green. It's like if you want to be um, absolutely sure that you're investing in something that's totally sustainable here, this is it, it's been classified by the taxonomy. Or it, it's a system you use uh, where you spread the net a bit more widely because you basically want to draw in everything that is useful to getting us to the destination we want to reach of a decarbonized future. And in that case, you then have to wrestle with these really difficult questions, for example, around around gas and, and nuclear. Um, now, the EU isn't doing this in, in, in a vacuum, and there's a couple of things you mentioned I, I really wanted to touch, uh, to go back to go back to and, uh, and just touch on briefly. Um, one is that there's work on international level going on as well. So so the EU is, is doing this, but but not in a vacuum. It's, it's doing it in, a, in an environment where the whole world needs to save itself from the effects of, of catastrophic, climate, catastrophic climate change. So why can't the EU sort of seek an international consensus on, on this to sort of solve this puzzle and, and sort of go forward harmoniously with, with other countries? But my, my, I might be being a bit utopian about this, but, you know, in a way, this is a kind of utopian Utopian project. is always good on sustainable yeah, finance. No, not really. Um, but on the... So on the commission and how they can... how they can take the taxonomy forward at an international level, they aren't the only jurisdiction that is looking at developing a taxonomy so there does need to be a wider consideration around how can you move capital markets at a global level towards activities that can be considered sustainable or at least that share similar principles in their development around a taxonomy that you are ending up with a form of coherent application now that's not to say that every taxonomy that is being developed is going to be developed along the same lines and going back to the nuclear and gas debate that is one of the key issues under discussion you have the uk that is looking to develop its own taxonomy it's expected that nuclear will form a key part of that strategy so really where the eu goes on nuclear and gas is an example of the elements that can be aligned with other taxonomies that are being developed in other jurisdictions when you focused on the taxonomy as either a gold standard or a more comprehensive system, there is no doubt that it is quite far-reaching. That discussion is particularly pertinent in the context of a green taxonomy that we have now. So the current framework focuses on climate and environmental objectives, yet we have just had a report from the Platform on Sustainable Finance advising on a framework for activities that could significantly harm or could be considered red activities. So there is a clear intention from the Commission to develop a more comprehensive framework that can incorporate additional economic activities, be they those activities that are considered to significantly harm the environment today and are not able to make the transition, if they're those activities that are significantly harming today but there is potential to transition towards a greener profile, all those activities that can't be classified as either red or green and would remain in their form of middle category. Clearly that brings with it a whole range of disclosure requirements that are linked to the taxonomy as well. But the fact that the Commission is considering to develop the taxonomy in that way, I think will move us from the consideration of the taxonomy as a gold standard to a more comprehensive framework and again that the Russian-Ukraine conflict has put a more pragmatic lens on the development of the taxonomy as well as enhancing awareness of the need to consider the social aspects as well. You, meant, you mentioned the platform and probably this is something we should touch on because um, for me coming to this as an outsider the way rulemaking is done in this whole area of taxonomy is weird um, because I am used to looking at the European Commission um, obviously in the previous job I was, I was a journalist and one of the things I, I really took away from 
interactions with the European Commission was it, it quite jealously guards its privileges when it comes to crafting draft rules, crafting draft laws. And here we have a platform on sustainable finance made up of all kinds of external um, experts that gets to weigh in very heavily on um, the design of, of taxonomy rules. Now, I'm sure that was done for a, a reason in terms of making sure the system has some kind of, of legitimacy, but it does put the commission in quite an odd situation because it's basically receiving this input from the platform on sustainable finance that might not always necessarily be, be welcome input. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the platform on sustainable finance did not want nuclear and gas treated the way the European Commission has proposed to treat it in this, in this delegated act that's causing so much grief for Mairead McGuinness and Ursula von der Leyen as well. Absolutely. And, and the phrase rock and a hard place comes to mind in some considerations of the taxonomy development. Um, weird or comprehensive in the way that the Commission has established the platform. And I think in when you are looking at developing a framework that is using binary thresholds to classify economic activities across a number of different sectors, you do need to bring in that sectoral expertise. And that's exactly why the platform on sustainable finance was created with a range of different stakeholders and different perspectives to try and find that middle ground and identify some of the thresholds that can be considered sustainable. If we take the example of the manufacturing of hydrogen, you need to have a greenhouse gas savings requirement of just above 73%, which is a very specific threshold to calculate to determine if that activity is sustainable or not. The Commission needs the input from the platform to arrive at those thresholds. It hasn't been an easy journey, and it, there continue to be obstacles in the development of these criteria. This is part of the reason why the platform has consulted quite extensively, as well as the Commission, and why you have so many different perspectives around the taxonomy. We're also not yet at the final stages of the taxonomy. As you mentioned, the Nuclear and Gas Delegated Act, the potential extension to significant harm, nascent considerations around a social taxonomy. question is, how far should the Commission go in developing this taxonomy when we're yet to have the, the green or the, the climate and environmental version of the taxonomy fully implemented? Because I think this is a theme that's been bobbling away in the background of our conversation is that this agenda keeps sort of expanding. And so we, we touched briefly on, on social taxonomy. And uh, I think you mentioned as well, um, Jane, the, um, the, uh, the fact that taxonomy can be expanded beyond things which are green to actually talk about things which are um, precisely not green and identify those. So basically go through the looking glass and, and, look, and, look, and, look, and look at the other side. Um, so I suppose it's pretty worth sort of just taking a quick step back and just asking what has the EU actually done on sustainable finance up to now and, and what's left to do? Because in theory, this should be we build a system, we classify what's green, we have all the disclosure rules we need so people can track what's going on and jobs are good and then we move on. But, uh, but the, what, what I'm taking from our conversation so far is actually the, the agenda is expanding all the time to, to take on new frontiers. Yes, and, and you make it sound so easy <laughs> when you put it like that, Jim. But since 2018, a large part of the EU sustainable finance agenda has focused on disclosure. And disclosure and reporting are seen by the Commission as a channel through which to increase awareness of sustainability risks and to act upon those risks through management and governance. In the EU, the move towards granular disclosure was, was focused firstly on investors, requiring consideration of sustainability risks in due diligence policies, then corporates, where now we've got changes that are being discussed to corporate sustainability reporting. This is opposite to the approach that other jurisdictions have taken, particularly the US is a good example, where they're now focusing on enhancing disclosure by issuers before they look at investor disclosure. The 
EU's approach has meant an information gap between the information that investors are required to disclose versus the information that corporates are currently disclosing as required in the EU framework. There are moves underway to close this gap. We're not there yet, but FRAG standards that are being developed will help on this front. So the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group is focusing on sector-specific and sector-agnostic standards that can be disclosed across ES and G issues. Um, as part of the broader sustainable finance agenda, we're now clearly moving beyond disclosure. We have the taxonomy, as we've discussed. We have different labels and standards in the EU Green Bond Standard and a potential EU Eco label. We have the consideration of ESG issues for credit ratings and uh, ESG ratings providers. We also have research underway around prudential supporting factors and the creation of voluntary carbon markets are just a few examples. These initiatives are at different stages in terms of the legislative process, but they're all being considered. And what will be important is to look at the sustainable finance agenda from a holistic perspective to understand what we have implemented today and how that might impact what will be implemented in the future. So, um, so Jane, do, is the idea then that we do, nonetheless, in, the, in this realm of disclosure, that we do arrive at some sort of international place where a European company is having broadly similar compliance processes, broadly similar obligations, um, carrying out broadly similar due diligence to companies based in other parts of the world, and that this all kind of functions in some harmonious way to deal with this global challenge? So that's a really interesting question. How will the work of the EU be consistent or comparable with the work of the International Sustainability Standards Board, the ISSB, and the USSEC? And the purpose of all of these frameworks is to enhance disclosure or reporting against sustainability topics so that all stakeholders have a better understanding of sustainability risks and there is more transparency across the board. Yet this also presents a really significant opportunity to look at how these frameworks can work together. They're all being developed in parallel and therein there is an opportunity to design them in a way that promotes consistency and coherence between them that can then help to establish a global baseline which can in turn help to enhance access and use uh, towards sustainability information by investors, as well as facilitating disclosure by issuers. So overall, contributing to the development of more detailed and accurate sustainability information provision. But So there is this opportunity, and you mentioned uh, the, IS, uh, the ISSB, sorry, um, which obviously is, a, is something that's come out of the most recent international uh, leaders' conference on, on climate change, so we're now going to have an international standard setter in, in this area. Do we expect this opportunity to actually be seized to have common rules that work at a global level? So we've seen the opportunity being seized in a way to date. It's the uh, framework at EU level that will be uh, could be comparable or consistent is being developed as, as we speak. And the work of FRAG and the EU sustainability reporting standards will feed into that. Where there is an opportunity that we need to make sure is uh, taken as much as possible, as you said, Jim, with that consultation that's currently opened by the ISSB to ask ourselves the question of how can these frameworks be made more comparable and for that we do need to look into obviously the exposure draft by the SS ISSB as well as the upcoming consultation by FRAG which is expected over the course of the next few weeks as well as other jurisdictions um, such as the the SEC for example because these initiatives are being developed in parallel now is a really good opportunity to look at how they can be uh, how they can be consistent and comparable so that we have we, we don't have multiple reporting or disclosure frameworks that we have today and we're actually able to move towards similar levels of disclosure where applicable 
that still leaves a space for uh, regional jurisdictions to build on top of where they will need to. So we spoke earlier about the need for the EU framework to incorporate specific disclosure relevant to the taxonomy. That's still going to need to be the case. But it doesn't mean that the global baseline can't be established so that we have a level of coherence internationally. That's something about this which I, I just find really interesting that I'm taking from this conversation is that this is a global challenge in theory, we can have global rules, and, and we are. There has been real work now at international level to try and come up with this this baseline, Jane, as you, as you described it. But at the same time, inevitably, there's a sort of regional dimension to this because there are sort of regional traditions, for want of a better word. There's there's legacy energy mixes in different parts of the world which are different, and so gas and nuclear in the EU taxonomy being a case in point. It's it's a specific feature of of not exclusive to Europe, but basically, you know, historic dependence of dependency on natural gas is is a feature of um. Of Europe's energy mix and so that has to be taken into account as well. And just to add on to that if there, there are considerations around energy mixes but also considerations around different sectors so we can't move towards a one-size-fits-all disclosure regime that wouldn't be beneficial for the information we're trying to have access to so we do also need to make sure that within the standards that are being developed and that is currently the case today we have information that could apply across all sectors and information disclosure that will be very specific to each sector so that that becomes more relevant for them so it's a, g- a global challenge but not a global starting point maybe uh, a global challenge definitely a global starting point in the baseline is a good way to put it but then that's not the end point necessarily it can't stop at that global baseline because there are the regional requirements that need to be taken into account Um, and we're currently seeing that with the as you've mentioned the development of nuclear and gas in the taxonomy how that's going to be reflected in the eu standards specifically Uh, there are other differences around the information that could be considered material or relevant that can't be applied equally across jurisdictions but it's certainly a beneficial starting point for everybody to try and get towards this global baseline so i I guess that leads naturally to a, a final question which is the, the Commission set out to be a world leader in sustainable finance. Um, it's been a goal now for, for a number of years. Has it achieved that aim? Has the EU become the world leader in developing sustainable finance standards? That's a very strong statement to make. I mean, has it, has it achieved that yet? Um, arguably not yet. Has it taken steps to assert itself on the world stage when it comes to sustainable finance? Absolutely. Um, primarily obviously through EU legislation Uh, that's the EU's biggest export is its legislation and it is logical that the EU has tried to move beyond where existing standards and frameworks may be today across the board on sustainable finance we're not just talking about disclosure or the taxonomy and this is also where we're seeing some of the challenges arise that we spoke about in the context of the taxonomy whether it should be a comprehensive framework or a gold standard. Certainly, the EU has asserted itself and has a place at the table, also in the context of the international platform. So the EU has been working with, for example, the US and China, looking at common disclosure, looking at a common ground taxonomy. And there are certainly areas where the EU is first in the field around the policy and and the legislative initiatives that it's developing. To be the first and to really lead implies we're also at the end point. Um, And I don't think we're there yet. Actually, something we're seeing from the EU side is a greater consideration of real economy policies with sustainable finance. And if we go back 10 years ago, for example, I wouldn't say they were working in silos, but I think we have seen a much greater level of coordination and collaboration between the real economy 
sectors of the policymaking arena and the financial sectors of the policymaking arena. In the sense of trying to balance sustainable finance with cost of living concerns? As well, um, but also in the sense of making sure that finance is being channelled to help to achieve the targets that are being set for the real economy. That's really where we're seeing much more collaboration. And that's reflected whenever you look at sustainability, ESG issues, be it from the policymaker's perspective, from an industry perspective, uh, from an advisor's perspective, we need to take a holistic look at where these initiatives fit together. And that's also partly one of the reasons why we've got an FH2050 practice as well, is to make sure that we're looking across the board at these different initiatives and we're not looking at them in silos, not only between energy and climate sectors and the financial services sector, but also what it means from a reputational point of view as well, because we're starting to see much more integration and impact between public affairs and and reputation, particularly around sustainability topics. So all in all, we have this situation where the EU has been a a regulatory superpower for for some time. We know that it's now trying to become this green regulatory supervisor, but with all kinds of different ingredients going into baking that cake, be it making sustainable finance uh, as an agenda fit with other EU aims, be it with bringing different elements into sustainable finance, like possibly a a social taxonomy, um, and also thinking about how to have some kind of international coordination on this so it's 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 a very complex picture but jane thank you so much for for helping me go through it and and break it up into into it into its component parts thank you so much thanks jim and so to bring it back to the culinary analogy at the end i think we're not just talking about a waffle with chocolate sauce i think we're talking about a waffle with chocolate sauce ice cream fruit sprinkles you name it this agenda really is all-encompassing which makes it, on one hand, extremely exciting and on the other hand, also quite challenging to see how they fit together. But I'm sure we can find the right combination of flavours as we go through.